The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Amen. Man, our storytellers do a great job in our church, don't they? They do a phenomenal job. Everybody doing good this morning? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that again. Everybody doing good this morning? Good, 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 good. We're so glad you're here. Well, we start a brand new series today. If you happen to bring a Bible, go ahead and take it out. We're going to be in John chapter 6 today. We start a brand new series. Turn it on, turn it to uh, John chapter 6. If you didn't bring one, that's okay. We're going to put the scriptures on the screen this morning. Have you ever been asked a question? You really didn't understand the question that was being asked, and you gave an answer anyway. You got to the end of your answer, and you're like, oh, man, I don't think that made any sense at all. You ever been asked one of those? You get, I get asked questions all the time. I speak for a living, and so people ask questions all the time. And a lot of times, I will answer questions, and I'll get to the end, and I'll say something like, did that make sense? Because in my mind, I'm like, that didn't make any sense at all. So there was a very famous instance of this happening in uh, 2007 at the Miss America pageant. And uh, Miss America <clears throat> at the pageant there, uh, Miss South Carolina from my home state, was asked the question in 2007 why she thought a fifth of Americans could not locate the U.S. on a world map. Now, this was her response. This is a word-for-word response. Now, listen to it. I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some uh, people out there in our nation don't have maps, and uh, I believe that our education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, I believe that they should, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. uh, or uh, should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children. Oh, if you watch that, I remember watching that with my, I was like, ooh, this, oh, you feel so bad for her. You're right. She broke the internet that night. Literally, she broke the internet that night. It was so obvious. She didn't understand the problem, and she definitely did not know the answer. But you know what? All of us have those sort of moments. We, we don't understand the questions being asked. We don't understand the problems. And if we don't understand problems, then we definitely don't understand solutions. And that is so common. When it comes to Jesus, Jesus came to earth with solutions to the problems that humanity faces. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth and people listened to Jesus. They still do today. And we say things like, hold up, hold up just a moment, Jesus. I don't think that's my real problem. You see, my problem is blank. We fill in the blanks. And many of us sort of, filter the relevance of Jesus to our lives sort of like this. I think of it this way. If you, if you do anything in the kitchen, I think it's called a colander and you strain things through it. We look at Jesus and we're like, Jesus, this is my problem. This is my situation. This is my scenario. This is how I see the world. And we hold that up as a stream. And we say, Jesus, I want to know what you think about that. And so we filter Jesus through our problems and our situations and the way we view the world. And what comes out on the other side are actually things that we already agree with. And so the Jesus that comes out on the other side, the Jesus that most people in the world see, is the Jesus that they simply agree with. 
It's the Jesus that they really, or maybe you really, want him to be. And so I sort of describe him in a couple ways. I'm sure there's more ways to describe him. But some of the ways that people see this Jesus that they want him to be, I, I say it like this, the first one, Jesus, the great benefactor. This is the give me Jesus. Jesus, give me this, give me that, give me better, give me more, give me what I want. Some people see Jesus as the great handyman. I call this the fixer-upper Jesus. Jesus, this is broken in my life. Can you fix it for me? Some people see Jesus as the great judge. I call this the social justice Jesus. Jesus, can you make the ills of this world disappear? Please listen to me this morning as we enter into a brand new series. Some of us may be misunderstanding the essence of who Jesus really is. And if we misunderstand the essence of who Jesus really is, listen, if we misunderstand the essence of who he is, then we will inevitably misunderstand the solutions that he came to solve. So Pastor Matt, how do we know the essence of who Jesus is? Well, the good news is, is that he told us. <laughs> In the book of John, Jesus makes seven I am statements about himself. And these seven I am statements in the book of John tell us who Jesus is. They tell us the problems that Jesus came to solve. So we start this brand new series called I Am. We're going to look at the book of John over the next seven weeks together. And I think this series is so important. It's so pivotal. And, and I think it could possibly change the way that some of us see Jesus and hopefully for who he really is. So today, we begin with the first I am statement. John chapter 6, that I am statement is, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6, starting in verse 26. Jesus answered very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Backstory here. The verses preceding John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus has taken a Hebrew boy's happy meal and he transformed it from five loaves of bread and two fish and he fed 20,000 people. And when he fed 20,000 people that night, the crowds are pressing in. The scripture tells us Jesus literally walked across the Sea of Galilee to escape the crowds. They woke up the next morning. Jesus was not there. And so they went on a search to find him. And when they found him, these were the first words that Jesus said. He said, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed. You are looking for me not because you believe that I am God. You were looking for me because your stomachs were full. Already here. Jesus is beginning to set the stage to show us that people are looking for Jesus to answers, for answers, that he didn't primarily come to solve. And so in John chapter 6, we see a group of people here that, that, that couldn't believe in the truth about Jesus. Why? Because they didn't understand the real problem that they had. They didn't understand the problem that they had, and so they couldn't understand the solution that Jesus was offering. They were so fixated on these quick fixes to life that they miss the real Jesus. I imagine in John chapter six here, the crowd included people that included people like political conservatives. 
People who believed that society would be much better off if we were just free, if the government would get out of the situation. I imagine in John chapter 6, the crowd included political liberals, people who believed society would be much better off if, if we just taxed the, the, the wealthy more and gave some of those to the poor. I believe John chapter 6 included people like social activists who fought for clean water, tried to end the sex slave trade, tried to end hunger, fought for social justice, educational reform. You see, there's a lot of good people, a lot of good people who call and claim to be a Christian, but the mission, mission and the message of Jesus has taken a back seat to the things in their life that they believe Jesus came to do because they don't understand the real problem. I believe those people continue to exist today. Here's how you know that you're in that group. You're just sort of bored with Jesus. It's not that you hate Jesus, but, but it's more so that you're not filled with love and passion for Jesus. And so here in John chapter 6, Jesus has some really hard things to say to this crowd who's following him. And it offends the people who are listening to Jesus. Every time in the book of John, Jesus makes an I am statement. One of two things happen. The scripture says people believe in Jesus or two, they want to kill Jesus. Sometimes both happen at the same time. And so Jesus is challenging what these people believe he really is and who he really is and the problems that he's coming to solve. And so the problem for them so these people are sort of looking for a new prophet. They're, they're looking for uh, a new teaching. They're maybe for a better way of life, maybe a life coach, somebody to give them better tips for living. And they're not prepared for the gospel that Jesus has come to proclaim. They're not prepared for this glorious Savior who's going to blow their mind. So the conclusion they come to, after hearing the I am statements that Jesus is going to make, particularly here in John chapter 6, is, Jesus, we don't really like that part about who you are. Jesus, we don't really like that part about who you are because these are people who already had a framework for life. They weren't looking for Jesus to blow up that framework. They're trying to figure out how Jesus fits into that framework. They're not, they're not looking for a new way of life. They're, they're sort of looking at Jesus like a salad bar. I'll take a little lettuce. I'll leave the carrots. I'll take a little bit of the eggs, but I'm going to hold up on the green peppers. The problem is Jesus is not a salad bar. You can't take the parts you like and leave the rest. The people that Jesus is talking to here, they don't fully understand the problem that they have with God. And therefore, they don't recognize Jesus for who he really is. Listen to verse 27. Jesus says to them, do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life. This is humanity's perpetual pursuit. This is humanity's perpetual problem with God. You see, we like the things about God. We like the things from God. We like the things around God. But Jesus is saying to us here, as he said to the crowds in John chapter 6, I know you love the things around me and about me and from me, but do you love me myself? Do you love me? 
See, we say, I like the job that you've given me, God. You've given this to me. I, I like the wife and the kids that you've given me. You've blessed me with. I like the health that I have that you've allowed me. And then there are times where we don't have the things that, that we want, and we blame God for them, our health, our financial situation, our relational situation. And somehow we come to this place where we love God for the things that we have. We love God for the things around him. We're upset about the things we didn't get from him. And the people listening to Jesus here, they're having a hard time understanding what he's saying. They're having a hard time understanding what he's talking about. They're, they're just saying, gee whiz, this guy just, he just, he just fed 20,000 people from a happy meal. Think of all the good this guy could do if he was king. He could end world hunger. He could restore world peace. He could bring about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everyone. And even if Jesus did all of those things, he still would never have dealt with the real problem that these people had. Now listen to verse 29. Jesus answered them. And he says to them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Back in verse 26, Jesus looks at the crowds and he tells them, you're not coming after me because you love the God who gave you a gift. You're coming after me because your stomachs were filled. You were blessed with a meal. And Jesus is as if he's asking the crowds a question that he's asking us today. Do you love me or do you love what I perceive to do for you? Do you understand that people can love their church and, and not love Jesus they understand that people can love the relationships that they form in church and have no affection for Jesus. People can love the, the worship music. They can love how the pastor preaches. They can love their kids are getting taught the Bible and still have no affection for Jesus. Jesus has a difficult question for the crowds that are following him. You love what I do for you, but do you love me? You love what I do for you, but do you love me? me. Is Jesus just a great benefactor to you this morning? A great Gatsby figure, if you will? Or is Jesus a brother? Is Jesus a friend? Is he a lover of your soul? Is he a father? How do you see Jesus? Listen to me. If you don't understand that you have a spiritual need, if you don't understand that you have a spiritual need, you will not believe that God has an answer. You'll only see God as a great benefactor. If you don't understand that you have a spiritual need, you'll never see that God has an answer. You'll only see God as a great benefactor. This is why we talk about sin so frequently at Story City Church. Oftentimes people will say to us, why do you talk about sin so often? Because if you don't understand sin, you will not understand what Jesus did on your behalf. You won't understand the good news without the mention of the bad news. If we can't see how sin so devastated our own lives, our own world, then the reality of Jesus' sacrifice will never be evident. Verse 30, listen to what Jesus said. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Such a great question. 
How do we know that you are who you say you are? That very question was asked in my office this week. How do I know that Jesus is who he says he is? It's a timeless question. Every generation has asked that question. And it involves truth, and it also involves faith. Now look at verse 31. Verse 31, um, they, they, they refer back to Exodus chapter 16. If you know the story, the Israelites came out of slavery and out of bondage. God brought them out of slavery and they make this statement to Moses, have you brought us out here so that we may die of starvation? And then God gives them, if you know the story, manna from heaven. That's what they called it, manna. Manna literally meant what is it? Jesus came on the scene and they said the same thing about him. Who is he? And so God filled them every night. They were to give, take as much as they could. Uh, they would take a specific amount for each person in their family. Every morning they would wake up and be dependent on God because if God didn't bring the manna down from heaven, they would literally starve to death. And they refer to that in verse 31. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so they asked Jesus, how do we know that you are who you Say you are. Now listen how Jesus answers them. Skip down to verse 35 if you have your Bible open. Listen how simply Jesus answers their question. He doesn't give them a, 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 a list of scientific facts. He doesn't perform some miraculous sign for them. This is what Jesus does. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus' answer to these people, how do I know you are who you say you are? They're looking for Jesus to do some sort of external fix in their life. Jesus simply says to them, I am the basic sustenance of life. You eat food and water and it sustains you. But if you will come to me and trust me and believe in me, I will sustain you both in this life and the next. Now listen to me. The bread that Jesus is offering here, the bread that Jesus is offering here is the restoration of our relationship back to God. It's the restoration of our souls back to God. Why? Because that's what humanity is missing. That's what our souls are missing. Jesus didn't just come for these simple external fixes. The reality is there's nothing that anyone could give us that would ever completely satisfy our souls because it was God that we were missing. It was Jesus that ultimately could reset our souls back to the way we were originally intended and created to be. But we get so confused. We get so confused craving something external in life. God, if I could just have a job. God, if I could just experience success. God, if I could just have this relational situation. God, if I could just have stability. You fill in the blank. What we are craving is not something. We are craving someone. Blaise Pascal called it the God-shaped void. But until we've been reunited to the someone, our souls will stay famished and corrupted. How many of you guys like junk food? Anybody like junk food? I love junk food. I love gummy bears. I, I just love them. It's the reason why I've got to have a root canal tomorrow. And... Um, <laughs> It is the reason why I've got to have a, another crown put on the other side in a couple of weeks. And it is the reason why I've got to have another crown fixed in about a month. But I love, I mean, I can find my way around the candy aisle. I love junk food. 
How many of you guys love a late night bowl of cereal? Anybody love a late night bowl of cereal? All right. How many of you guys ever pulled out a bag of ranch ruffles 15 minutes later? You're like, oh my gosh, they're almost all gone, right? I've never done that. I know people who have, but like, like we love junk food, right? Like junk food is, uh, is, has unusually high amounts of sugars, salts, and saturated fats. And what happens in the moment when we eat junk food is that our stomachs are full in the moment, but listen to what science says junk food will do to us. Science says junk food, listen to this, is directly related to obesity, depression, digestive issues, heart disease, strokes, diabetes, cancer, and early death. Somebody pass a bag of ruffles. You ever see the documentary, Supersize Me? You ever see that documentary? You heard about it? This guy named Morgan Spurlock, he spent 30 straight days. All he ate for 30 straight days, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, was McDonald's. And after 30 straight days, this guy said, I gained 24 pounds. His cholesterol skyrocketed. He had mood swings, sexual dysfunction, fat accumulation in his liver. And later, he said, it took me 14 months to lose all the weight that I had gained from those 30 days. We know why junk food is bad for us. We can put it in layman terms, and this is how we would say it. Junk food is bad for us because it lacks the basic nutrition that our bodies need to perform at peak performance, right? By the way, the healthcare industry loves that you love fast food. You know that? You pay higher insurance premium. You got to go to the doctor more often. You have to spend more on prescription drugs. Pastor, what's the point? Our souls experience the same effect. when they're not nourished by the very thing that keeps them healthy. Without God, we're famished spiritually. We, we realize things don't satisfy us. It's God that we need to satisfy our souls. And Jesus says to us this morning, the same thing he said in John chapter 6 to the crowd following, I am the bread of life. I will sustain your soul. I am the nourishment you need. And in verse 28, the crowd asked Jesus, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, they asked Jesus, what should we be doing to fix the problem? <laughs> what, what should we do to obtain this bread of God? How do we nourish our souls with what Jesus is offering? Jesus answered us and them in verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. How do you obtain the bread of God? It's not something you can do. It's not something you can work up. The bread that's given to us was given to us as a gift. We had no power to restore what was lost. So God did the work of resetting our souls. Do you believe that? Do you believe that daily? The bread here that Jesus is talking about, it's a picture of the gospel. In order for bread to be effective, to do any good, it has to be broken as your teeth chew it up. Jesus had to be broken for us. In order for water to do any good, it has to be poured out. Jesus' blood would be poured out so that it becomes the water of life for us. God has given us a meal for our starving souls. He provided entirely himself and our part is simply to take and eat. Our part is to come and drink. Our part is to look and to live. Our part is to believe and to cherish. Have you ever met someone 
you're like, oh my gosh, why is it taking me so long to meet this person? The more time you spend with them, the more affinity you realize you have with them, the more you get to know them, the more you, 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 you appreciate them, the more you know them, the more you share with them, the more you trust them. So it is with Jesus. So it is with Jesus. There's no substitute for time with Jesus. Listen to me, church, this morning. Jesus, the great benefactor, will never become Jesus, the lover of my soul, until I spend time with him daily, until I reflect on the gospel daily, until I believe the truth about what he has done for me daily. And this was the problem, that God was solving in Jesus, and this was the problem that people could not recognize. Listen, do you understand? When God is perceived, when Jesus is perceived as the great benefactor, when he's perceived as the great philanthropist, when he's perceived as the, as the great social justice warrior, then we ultimately miss the point. Jesus' ministry would never, never become an in the hunger or, 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 or everybody prospers campaign. Jesus actually ran from his ministry becoming that because our problem is so much deeper. Our problem is so much deeper than just an external fix and God being the ultimate handyman for our lives. Consider history for a moment. Beatrice Webb was a British socialist, and she believed that education would sort of stem the tide. She believed that, that, that education would bring humanity beyond injustice and savagery. And in 1890, she wrote this in her journal. I stake everything on the essential goodness of human nature. 35 years later, she reflected on that same statement. She wrote in her journal, I realize now how permanent the evil and instincts and impulses in us that mere social machinery will never change. David Cecil was a British historian. He said, after the Holocaust, the philosophy of progress has led us to believe that the savage and primitive was behind us, but it turns out that it was actually within us. Humanity's real problem is that we are estranged from a loving God. And so the Jesus of the Bible, not, not your late night televangelist, not, not, not the Jesus of culture, the Jesus of the Bible has a primary message and the message is the focus on the restoration of God to us. And every page of scripture is about that. Every page of scripture is about it. Read in Exodus chapter 16. God provided the manna. It was a foreshadow of God's own body being broken for us. Later on in Exodus chapter 16, the, the people of God were thirsty. God instructs Moses to tell them to strike a rock. When you strike the rock, the water will come out. He says, I am the living water. Jesus' body would be struck for us. Listen, every page of scripture is about Jesus and God's restoration back to us. The Bible has a primary aim of reconciling humanity to God. The focus of the Bible's hope is God. The focus of, of the Bible's affections is God. Pastor John Piper once said, the gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. The gospel is a way to get people to God. Behold, your God is the most gracious command and the best gift of the gospel. This is the primary reason why you will never come to Story City Church and hear us say, come to God and get stuff. That's not our message. 
The primary message of the Bible and the gospel is reconciliation with God. What we need is God, not secondary stuff that he can give you. Do you realize God is not a means to an end? God is the end himself. He doesn't give us the bread of life. He is the bread of life. He is what will sustain your soul. It's not that God's not going to help your work be more enjoyable. It's not that God's not going to help you have a better family. Listen, our faith and the church globally, our common grace is that God has given the world for the betterment of the world, the participation of the restoration of all things around the world back to the place where God originally intended them to be. Do you realize there are societal ills that have been cured because of God's grace, because of the church, because of our faith? If you know the truth about hospitals in sub-Saharan Africa, until recently, every single hospital in sub-Saharan Africa was put there by Christians and churches. Our faith and the church globally is part of the common grace God has given the world to make the world a better place. But listen to me. The primary gift of the gospel is God himself. The primary gift of the scriptures is God himself. Jesus is the primary sustenance for your soul. And until you feast on him, you're going to be left hungry. C.S. Lewis says this so well, and we're going to close out. C.S. Lewis says it seems that Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. C.S. Lewis says we are far too easily pleased. We believe the lie that we want the lesser bread things around God, things about God, the things from God, but not actually God himself. The implication this morning is this, that your pursuit of everything in life, some of those things being extraordinary things, from politics to success to wealth, security, stability, social justice causes, not that they're not important, Not that God doesn't care about them, but listen to me, they are not primary. Everything is secondary and nothing should displace the centrality of our affections being focused on Jesus. Do you understand this morning the primary problem that humanity has? Do you understand the primary problem we have in life? Because if we don't understand the problem, we will never understand the solution. Listen to me. Let me say this very clearly. The message of Christianity is not external problem solving. We're not primarily in the business to realize the American dream for everyone. We're not primarily in the business to bring peace to North Korea. We're not primarily in the business so that no one goes to bed hungry. We're not primarily in the business to heal our planet. We're not primarily in the business for peace and justice for all. Listen to me. Believing the gospel leads to greater social activism. Believing the gospel leads to greater societal change. But Jesus' mission was not primarily random acts of kindness. Listen, Jesus' primary ministry was the restoration of your soul. The satisfaction of your soul resting in Jesus. Some of you 
probably like me have been wondering, when are my kids gonna change? When's my spouse gonna change? When are my friends gonna change? When's my boss gonna change? If you're like me, you probably tried every parenting technique in the book you know to get your kids to change. The change they way they behave, the change the way they act, the change the way they respond to people. The reality is external change will only take us so far. But when people are restored to God, then and only then can permanent, lasting change be possible. Maybe this week, instead of trying to change people. Maybe this week, instead of trying to change yourself, maybe this week, instead of trying to change your behavior, maybe you again begin to pray for them. Maybe you begin to pray for yourself. That you would see Jesus as the ultimate source of sustenance and nourishment for your soul. Maybe you would begin to pray. Jesus becomes the centrality of your life. Are you so consumed this morning with good things? Maybe even important things. Maybe even wonderful things this morning. Marriage, kids, looks, cars, politics, social agendas. Are you so consumed with good things this morning that you miss the important thing? that you miss God himself. The invitation this morning is to come and see, to taste and know, to feast on this wonderful Jesus. If you've never believed in Jesus this morning, I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to come to the table, trust your life to Jesus, Spend a moment where you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, trust your life to him, turn from your sin and walk with Jesus. I wanna invite you to have that moment right now if you do know Jesus. I want to invite you. If, if, if this day is the only day where your affections have been focused on Jesus, I promise you, your soul is famished this morning. Your soul is lacking nourishment and nutrition. If you do know Jesus, I want to encourage you. Look to Jesus today. Taste and see that he is good. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful this morning to spend some time focusing on the ministry of the word, hearing. Your message to us this morning, God, all over this auditorium, between two services, hundreds of people, I'm confident there are people who are lacking significant nourishment. Their souls are famished this morning. God, I pray by the spirit of the living God that you would draw their affections to you. They would look to you as being the primary sustenance of their soul this week. Look to you for lasting and permanent change in their life, their 
kid's life, their spouse's life, friend's life. Spend less time trying to change, more time praying that you would become central to them. Jesus, you promised. I am the bread of life. I pray that you would nourish us this week. We focus our thoughts. Focus our attention. Believe in the gospel. Believe in what you did on the cross for us. Believe that you have restored our relationship back to God. That in you there is now no condemnation. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.